Oh, how how do we how do we start this one? Active know. versus passive management. There it's begun. Actually, maybe we should introduce ourselves. <laughs> such a like. I'm just gonna drop this plate in front of you. Like here, eat it. Yep. Hope you like. Is ready. <laughs> today 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 hey welcome 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 ladies and gentlemen boys and girls to another episode of the truth about investing back to basics my name is chris holling and i'm sean cooper and we are going to talk about what did you say active versus passive management look at that we are going to talk about that and let's let's do the thing that we've been doing this season where i describe what i understand about it and then you tell me if I'm wrong. And <laughs> tell me how wrong I am. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually, this one, I, I, I feel like as far as just general concepts, I feel like I understand this one uh, the least. I feel, like I, I feel like I just have a base understanding of this one. When I think of passive and active investing, uh, to me, and I think think as I'm saying this, I'm kind of forming my thought. I think the reason it comes off this way to me is because I'm more of a consumer than I am uh, anything else on this. So when I think of passive and active investing, I think of uh, I have a certain amount of money that I might hand to an investing firm or say a certain amount of precious metals that I'm sitting on and I hang on to it and I kind of allow the market to happen. And uh, when it is time to sell roughly around that time, I hope that my amounts have grown and gotten to a certain point over, let's say 20 years uh, and sell and set up my uh, my wins and losses, however, however you want to look at it. And hopefully through a combination of inflation and interest and however I have that arranged that that's what I acquire. Whereas active investing, I like, I immediately think of like day trading stocks where it's like, it's, <laughs> it's a high price now. I'm going to sell it now. Okay, now it's low. Okay, now I'm going to, and you're doing it throughout the course of the day. And I, I'm sure that that's not exactly it, but those are the two extremes that sit in my head, especially as like a consumer view. Uh, so how, how far off base am I on that? Uh, not, not too far, really. I would okay. say your description of, you know, kind of buying and holding uh, precious metals, that would definitely fall under passive. So you had that one uh, down pat. Um, mm. See that? Down pat. You heard it from the guy. Yeah. man. Yep. <laughs> On record. The the stock trading, day trading, that would be uh, an example of active management. Okay. Handing it over to a professional money manager. While a passive approach from your standpoint as an investor is still would still be considered active management because most likely that professional money manager is going to be actively managing your portfolio. I wondered about that. Um, That's why I hesitated saying it. But I I'm okay with being wrong on on public internet waves. That's fine. <laughs> so I mean, it does depend on the the, the manager. Um, so. 
in in general's terms, active management really just means typically you're hiring some professional money manager to do it for you. Uh, the other example would be is if you're actively buying and whole, uh, selling on a, a more regular basis, like you were describing with the the day trader, the stock trader. Whereas passive management is typically a buy and hold strategy. You might rebalance periodically, uh, probably a good idea to do so, and it would still be typically classified as passive management, uh, even if you're rebalancing, say, a couple times a year or once every couple years, that sort of thing. Uh, from a in investment standpoint, so w- what you're actually looking at when you are investing in a an active manager versus a passive manager, typically speaking, most mutual funds and hedge funds would be classified as active management. So you, there's some professional money manager overseeing the funds inside of that mutual fund. They're going to be the ones making the, the buy and sell decisions, and they're typically going to be fairly active about it. Whereas uh, on the passive side, you're looking at index funds. So it's still a mutual fund, but it's tied to an index. So there's not some professional money manager overseeing it and making buy and sell decisions. It's just a matter of are these holdings in the index? Has it has this holding fallen out of the index, gone into the index? And you're only really buying and selling when that happens or to potentially rebalance. Okay, uh, sorry. What's What's an index? An index. So uh, people often quote like the S and P five hundred okay. is an is an index. The Russell okay. two thousand yeah. is an index. The EAFE uh, is an index. Okay. Um, it's just a basket of, uh, in this case, what I, the examples I gave: stocks. Um, the sure. Bar- Barclays Capital Aggregate Bond Index would be another one. Uh, Barcap okay. Ag. Sure. Uh, so there, there are certain requirements for a uh, a security to fit the profile of that index, and basically it either fits or it does not fit. S and P five hundred is just the five hundred largest capitalized stocks in the U S. So either you're in the top five hundred or you're not. There's you you don't need any expert to make buy and sell decisions based on that. You're just tracking the index. I have a question that's probably going to take you off topic. Okay. Uh, do you happen to know off the top of your head what company or like a couple companies that have been in the 500 the longest? Just out of curiosity. That I do not. I'm just curious. I don't know. I, I just I just wondered. No, that's a great question. Um, the the biggest ones are in in it now are all pretty much tech and they were, have not been in it very long at all. Oh, um, yeah, but if okay. you want, if you want a longer track record, uh, in the index you'd want to look at would be the Dow Jones industrial average. Cause that's been around longer and that has some very old companies in it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I was just, I was curious if you just knew something off the top of your head. Uh, nope. Not particularly. Magically. Okay. <laughs> well, then Sorry. listeners go figure it out. Yep. <laughs> or Chris, you can look it up while I keep blabbing on about uh, passive investing. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try I'm gonna try the the researching and and edit out all my angry typing later as okay. well. Do I don't know why Go. it's angry typing, but sure because it's it's not here. <laughs> See, that's how it sounds. Sorry. Okay, you you go ahead, and I will be researching as you continue describing. Okay, so uh, ETFs or exchange traded funds are tip also typically. Uh, passive investments because typically they're also tracking 
a, an index or, or something along those lines. There are some active ETFs. Um, the idea of an active ETF is kind of strange, but yeah, that's another topic entirely. Um, as far as the kind of pros and cons of each, the idea behind active management is that you're profa- uh, paying this professional money manager ideally to either uh, in, in, enhance your performance or reduce your risk uh, without sacrificing performance in some way, shape, or form. Um, that That's the concept anyway. Um, active management does tend to or at least has a, a better chance of outperforming when the market is uh, very volatile, especially a volatile market going sideways. Uh, same holds true for a, a bear market, so a market in decline, whereas passive management tends to outperform during a bull market. It's very difficult for an active manager to outperform a, a bull market. What the studies have found is that over the long term, passive management tends to outperform anyway. And the reason being is the active managers, the even even the very good ones, over the extended period of time, if they do well, tend to basically offset their fees and the fees of trading. So they, they essentially break even. Now, there are obvious ex- obviously exceptions to that. Uh, however, the number of exceptions doesn't actually exceed what you would expect from basically from just uh, random chance, if you will. Uh, at, at least from the you know the statistical level, uh, and that's what we see coming out of the big institutions. So okay, okay, yeah. I got I got good news and I got bad news. Okay, the good news is I finished my research. Nice work. The bad news is that I was not able to research and listen to you simultaneously. So okay. I need you to give me like. A ten-second synopsis of what you just said. The, I need the crash course. I need the, I need the, like this is what I said. I go okay, <laughs> okay, ready, go. Okay, the idea behind active management is to provide some form of outperformance, either actual uh, better returns or lower risk, and uh, it tends to do better has the opportunity to do better during a volatile sideways market or a bear market, whereas passive investing tends to do better outperform in a bull market. Uh, The statistics show that the active managers typically cannot uh, do anything more than just break even with the long term. No, 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 no. That's 30 seconds. That's 30 seconds. I need, I need the, the, the 10 second, five year old explanation. Because now I'm just curious what you're going to say. That's how we're going to. But if I give you ten more seconds, that's just adding. No, no, to no the ten seconds, seconds total. Like you're you're starting over, but only have ten seconds. <laughs> I don't know that I could shorten it that much. Oh, you you sure you could? Active it, management's just, goal is to outperform in some way, shape, or form. But statistically, it typically does not. Nice. Okay, five seconds. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, that's 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 fair. Um, because it's 
that's that's important to note because if you're if you're looking at that as a as a whole and you're it, it, it kind of goes back into some of the stuff that we're we're talking about and, and I I hope I address this properly because I, I I was doing what I could to, to pay attention simultaneously um, but when when we are looking at those things and when you're talking about the the differences between the two it kind of goes back to what we were talking about of comparison of inflation to to interest and that's why we started with it and why we opened with some of those things to talk about some of the comparisons that it, it's good to do something and chances are as you're addressing the the active portion is is going to outperform the two which is which is why it's good to learn about these things and get involved over right? the long term the passive over portion the actually out, outperforms the two shoot well, then that completely disrupts everything I just said. The, the issue the active portion has is, uh, typically speaking, the any outperformance that it experiences is offset by the higher fees associated with paying the professional money manager and uh, paying for all the, the trading costs that mm. come in, in with the active management. Now, there are a few exceptions to that. Uh, like I said, uh, just from statistical chance there are exceptions to that but there are also exceptions as you get into asset classes and what I mean by that is uh, the more efficient a market is the more efficient an asset class is the harder it is for an active manager to beat just a passive index so for example domestic equities even uh, as you get down to small cap or uh, yeah mid cap or small cap whether you do growth, growth or value, it doesn't really make a difference. It's it's much harder for an active manager to outperform those in those asset classes because the market is so efficient. Any other type of uh, even bonds um, or um, other international equities, so like investing in Europe. Again, it, it's a very they're very efficient markets, so it's very hard to take advantage of any type of imbalances in terms of you know things being undervalued or overvalued and things of that nature. Where you see active management tend to do a bit better, uh, you know, bond markets where uh, right I mean right now te- technically speaking, an active manager should have the potential to do better. Because we're okay, maybe not right now, but going forward, where we're we're facing a a rising interest rate market, which is going to have downward pressure on bond prices. An active manager should be able to be a passive fund because the passive fund is basically just going to continue to get hit by those rising interest rates, but then being offset by the the better interest rate down the road. Other things like uh, emerging markets or frontier markets, where actually investing in those markets becomes very cumbersome just because of the regulations and the way you have to uh, go through the process creating even creating an index becomes a challenge so an active manager may have the opportunity to uh, take advantage of those uh, different valuations Uh, same holds true with some alternative asset classes so for example uh, uh, managed futures for example there, there's no easy way to wrap that that concept into a passive investment to put it into some form of um, a passive ETF. It just 
conceptually it doesn't work very well. So there are instances where it can certainly be advantageous to have that active manager. And again, you know, depending on the market cycle, there are other reasons why they might have a better opportunity to outperform. But broadly speaking, statistically speaking, if you look at the studies coming out of, uh, you know, your you know, big institutions, Harvard and Yale and those uh, active managers typically underperform or basically just offset their own fees. Okay. I, that makes sense. Uh, I, is that, is that why, uh, how do I put this? Is that why when discussing these as a, as a base understand me just as a, as a consumer that I don't know anything about investing and, and stuff like that, is that a big reason why diversifying your portfolio and, and, things along those lines is is encouraged because then you have sort of that that offset of the passive investing that's doing well in those consistent markets and indexes like you're talking about as well as when there is a dip and there is a change and and the active investors have that opportunity to in theory do well statistically like you're referring to and then and then take advantage of those those times when those are available is is that why that's encouraged or is there a different reasoning different thought process on that um there's certainly that's certainly a form of diversification typically speaking when people talk about diversification uh they're actually referring to asset classes by asset class not necessarily by um management style however that that is certainly a a form of diversification and typically what you see with that is people will use like a, a what they call a core and explore strategy so they'll have a strategically diversified core of their portfolio, call it 60%, 70%, 80% that is strategically allocated. They're going to buy and hold. They're going to use it as a passive passive investment rebalance periodically. And then depending on what they're they're willing to uh, potentially, in some cases, risk, depending on what they're using for that explore piece, um, that other piece of the pie that, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40%, whatever it is, ends up being used. Uh, oftentimes, it's in a more aggressive fashion. So it might be in um, something that has a bit more risk, um, but also potentially more reward. Well, and then uh, that's, and I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off here, but you're okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing two things, partially uh, because the that's that's why I was asking was the high risk versus low risk if you're looking at something that's high risk where it's technically somebody that's active versus the low risk is something that's established and and slow and over time like you were talking about a little bit earlier and the other reason I'm stopping you is because unless we're going to dive into it right now correlation diversification is our next episode and uh, no that should definitely run. be its own own episode okay yes. okay cool I'm I'm just I'm just taking the reins in because yeah. that's my job. Yeah. No, but uh, <laughs> no. The one other thing I would I would add is you know in in this particular example, depending on how you're using an active manager, they may actually be uh, used as more of a uh, a conservative play. So that explorer is actually a a conservative piece of the portfolio. You're using it for protection because you're hoping that active manager is actually going to do better uh, when the markets do poorly. Gotcha. So. Uh, it's not always a an aggressive play, a risky play, but it, it's just more often used the other way. 
Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So, yep. um, what did you find? Oh, thank you. Look at you keeping me on track. Uh, I was not able to find uh, S&P. That was specifically that's what I was interested in because I thought, you know, the top 500, who's been in the top 500 the longest. Uh, but I just I just had a hard time finding it. Uh, but what I did find is the six stocks that have been in the Dow the longest. Perfect. Um, and uh, now, I mean, I, I really just Googled this and this this was just the... The hot button that I picked here, so you know, always, always check your sources and blah 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 blah. But this is from <laughs> uh, Fool dot com, the Motley Fool. I don't okay. know, I've yep. never heard of it. Oh, you know it? Okay, yes, cool. Uh, so it looks like the number one that's on here is General Electric. Oh, uh, that's General not Electric has been in the index since eighteen ninety six, actually. Oh, all right, that's not quite uh, as long as I would have expected, but. Oh no! Okay. Uh, then followed by that is Exxon Mobil, which is 1928 when they got on there. Uh, then Procter and Gamble, which ah. I I don't know any of these things. So they are perhaps best known for Tide detergent, Crest toothpaste, and dozens of other consumer products. Uh, they have been involved since 1932. Which okay. kind of makes me wonder what they started with, but they don't say anything about that in here. Um, uh, do 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 Dupont. Oh, <laughs> do 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 Dupont. All right, never mind. Uh, they <laughs> uh, they came into play in 1935. Uh, they are known for their chemicals. Uh, chemicals yeah. for I, I I don't know. It says chemicals. That's literally all it says. Chemicals. Very descriptive. Yeah, <laughs> science. They're, they've been doing science since 1935. Uh, then United Technologies uh, started in the early 1930s, which I, I mean, I'm trying to see exactly. It, it says involved in everything from elevators to climate control and aerospace systems for aircraft, and did brief stints on the Dow in the early 1930s. But 1939 was when it was a solid position on the index. There you go. Okay. And then finally, 3M. 3M. Oh, yeah. Oh, started in 76. That's a big gap of 40 years of, of That is a big gap. Well, even the, the, even the first one to the second one was a big gap. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, there you go. Those Those are the ones that have been in the Dow the longest. And that's... I guess because we're talking about it, and when you're when you're looking at things like that, when you're talking about, uh, like say 3M, you know, bottom 3M, and uh, what was the first thing I said? General Electric. Those do those fit as more of a passive investing classification? Then, like I, I get that you know it would be an active investor that would be utilizing this, and it would be an active investing choice to make it. But in a way, if you only purchased that stock, kind of like you purchase gold or something of the sort and just hang on to it as it's continued to remain in Dow for however long, would that be considered a passive investing process? Then? Yeah, yes. You're, Am I so understanding you're that? It. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The, a stock in and of itself is not a passive or an active investment. It depends entirely on how you invest in it. 
So yeah, that makes sense. So if you if you buy into it, you just buy the stock and you hold it for a long time, that would be considered a passive investment. If you buy an ETF that happens to have so you buy uh, the an ETF that is the Dow Jones Industrial Average and it has GE in it, then you are and you just buy and hold it, then it is a passive investment. But if you start if you go out and you uh, look at GE and you you buy it one day and then sell it a few days later and then buy it and sell it that same day and you know you're you're being an active investor uh, day trader in that scenario or you um, hire a a mutual fund manager you know you you invest in a mutual fund you are hiring that manager and they are actively trading the stock then okay yeah so okay. The, the stock itself has. Uh, the security itself has no bearing on whether it's passive or active. It's all about how you invest in it. Well, then let me let me question the norm here. Then, if you do a buy and hold on a real estate property, which you are making an active investment and renting out, and you you are making active decisions in this, whether it is a property management process or if you are the landlord or whatever the process is but you hang on to it for 30 years then is that passive or is it active that would be probably somewhere in between honestly um, because if you're if you're holding it for a long period of time uh, that would classify as a, a kind of a passive investment but because you're actively involved in the day to day decision making of the, the the rental itself, then you know that that would be active. So, so yeah, I just I just wanted to challenge the norm. Yeah, I, yeah. I I'd lean more towards active on that one, but yeah. Okay, all right. No, I like that. I just I just wanted to. That's fair. To, to poke the bear a little bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I I, I mean, I th- I think that clears it up pretty well for me. Uh, I, I I guess that makes sense. I feel like I understood that, but I never really took the time to to think about how how different the passive versus active is specifically yeah um, what what else is is on there do you do you think we've we've hit that pretty well or is there some better i mean i, t- I touched briefly on the fact that it's the the fees associated with the active management that causes it to not really outperform the passive management over the right you know extended period of time but to to give you an idea uh an exchange traded fund the internal expenses of an exchange traded fund, depending on what you're investing in, it's going to be a wide range. You, uh, you know, you have some of like uh, Vanguard that are, you know, point zero two percent, so sure. ridiculously low, and then you have some that are that get into that kind of an. I mean, you're getting into more active. ETFs, which, like I said, is kind of strange, but you can actually get up over 1%. But generally speaking, ETFs average right around 30 basis points, so 0.3%. Fairly low. Okay. Uh, And that's a percentage on an annual basis that you're going to be paying. You don't necessarily see it. It's disclosed in the prospectus of the fund. Um, it, It comes out of your performance. So the the performance that you're quoted is going to be net of those internal expenses. Conversely, mutual funds that are typically active. Now, like I said, there are index mutual funds. Vanguard has some index mutual funds uh, that are still much, much lower. Um, American funds actually is 
very good at producing low cost, even active mutual funds as if as as is Vanguard. But generally speaking, your um, average internal expense on a mutual fund is going to be somewhere between one percent and two percent. So you know more than three times as much as your average uh, index fund or ETF. And that's that's just the internal expense that's disclosed in the prospectus. The prospectus itself doesn't typically disclose the, the the trading costs associated with that because they can vary so much year to year. Often that's disclosed in the statement of additional information. And when you incorporate the the additional trading costs, it typically increases the average internal expense of a mutual fund by about forty percent. So which puts your average at closer to one point four to two point eight percent. Um, when, when you're when you're talking about these percents that that are involved as as fees and such, does that happen within the the process of the act of investing, or does that happen at at the end of your transactions? Does it happen at the end when when you pull your money out? Is that when the fee is implemented, or or how does is that dependent on the place, or how does that work? Do you know? So those. Mutual fund fees are on, or internal expenses, the fees associated with any of these funds are going to be ongoing. So you're paying that on an annual basis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, typically, it's going to come out uh, like quarterly, maybe monthly, the okay. actual fee. So a, a piece of that is going to come out. Uh, the The trading costs you're actually paying as it, as it occurs. Um, yeah, but... The, the the real point here is that the difference between the fees is quite substantial between your, your passive management styles and your active management styles, and that's why it's very difficult for those active managers to actually outperform the passive strategy. Some of them, there you know, if there were no costs associated with some of these active management styles over the long term, yes, they would outperform. But okay. statistically speaking, the the fees basically offset them. Now that. With trading fees going down and the the fees associated with that being compressed so much in recent years, I haven't read recent data uh, to incorporate that, and that may have changed uh, that okay. at least marginally, uh, especially for some of your your really active funds that have you know three or four hundred percent turnover ratios. Mm-hmm. Um, so that may change it. Uh, to a degree, I don't know that it's going to be real significant, but it, it, it certainly is going to help the active manager in that regard just by reducing the trading fees. Yeah, that's yeah. that's all I was gonna gonna add. There, there's there's reasons for investing in both. There's uh, philosophies behind each that uh, you know may or may not speak to you and your your style and what you're shooting for. Um, yeah. And, and no different than what we've talked about before. It's it's all it's all tools for the toolbox, you know. Exactly. That's uh, it's. Oh, I don't know. One I, thing I'd say. Um, so speaking to that idea of active trading, active investing, and sure, yeah. you know, buying and selling on a regular basis, that sort of thing. I, I talked about the fact that these professional money managers. You know, basically, they're lucky to offset their fees and kind of break even with the passive management. So you, so you look at you know a, a passive S and P five hundred, and then you look at an active active manager who is buying S and P five hundred stocks, 
Right. But they're they're active in their buying and selling of those stocks and they're and they're only buying a subset of those stocks. That's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about where they, you know, they're 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 trading fees basically offset and they end up kind of breaking even, if you will. Oh, okay. How however, um, if you look at the average equity fund investor, so the, you know, average person just investing, not a professional, they have on average, regardless of what decade you look at, they typically underperform the market by something like six percent, five to six percent. Really? Yes. And the reason for that is it's very psychological, honestly, but it kind of plays to this idea of active investing um, as opposed to passive investing and why the passive tends to do better. And that is as the market ramps up, people start to get very excited, euphoric. They hear their friends talking about how much money they're making in in the market. So they they buy, they buy more and they're buying things that are very, very expensive. And then the market tends to correct itself and starts to underperform and then it starts to go down and they end up panicking and selling. But they've and what they've done is they've ended up buying relatively close to the high and selling relatively close to the low. So the average equity fund investor over the long term only makes out about 3.2-3.5%. That's annual, interesting. Annual, that makes which sense. Is, I've, you're, you're, you're barely breaking even. You're, you're just barely beating inflation. Um, whereas you know if you had just bought and hold like the S&P 500 index – you're looking at average performance depending on the decade of eight to twelve percent. Mm. So dramatic underperformance depending on you know what we're talking about here. And the, and the reason for that is people are very bad at timing the market. They're very bad at uh, buying at the right time and selling at the right time because it requires a psychology to do what the opposite of what everyone else is doing. When everyone is panicking, you know, and this Warren Buffett's famous for. Uh, saying, uh, I think it's uh, when every, everyone is fearful, be greedy, and when everyone is uh, optimistic or something like that, be fearful, uh, or when everyone is greedy, be fearful. Um, and the, the reason for that is as when everybody is getting that euphoric and there, there's a frenzy in the markets, that's when you should be cautious that the market's going to turn. And when everyone's panicking and selling out, that's when there's buying opportunities. And, but it takes a very uh, – it takes – takes a lot to go against the trend, uh, to go against the masses uh, from a psychology standpoint, but that's why they tend to underperform. And that's from a, an individual investor standpoint, not the not necessarily the professionals, that's where they struggle a lot if they get when they become active in their investments. Um, and even the professionals can uh, struggle from that because they're getting pressure from their investors and their investors are you know, selling at the wrong time. So they, they have no choice but to sell their underlying investments in the funds to li- create liquidity. So um, it, it does play into that. But that, that's really jumping into the psychology behind it. So No, that's that's a really good point. Because not, I mean, not only does that happen, I've, I've been that guy. I was that guy <laughs> a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, I'm just, I'm mostly just disappointed that, that, you're you're touching on the the philosophy and psychology of this stuff and that it doesn't it doesn't really give me a job anymore so i'll just i'll just sit here you know it's fine <laughs> you can uh you can do the numbers and the philosophy of the show and i'll uh 
I'll just I'll just show up occasionally and go, yeah, did you hear Sean talking to Sean a minute ago? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sean really had a good point when Sean said this, and then Sean had another good point when Sean said this. And uh, isn't Sean great, everybody, ladies and gentlemen? It's, yeah, it's, it's the Sean's. <laughs> no, I actually talk a lot about the psychology of it in uh, the book, and um, I had my, my cousin Shane actually provided me with a bunch of articles about uh, psychology that I was able to utilize uh, in discussion on, on how our, our psyche really impacts our investing and, and also the, you know, kind of the hysteria of crowds, the, that herd effect that uh, really doesn't help your investment style. Maybe we should write a book. We'll have yeah. like a little little section of, uh, it'll have, make sure to check these facts and then we can put like, like the, the goofy little paperclip guy that you see on those old, those old word programs. Yeah, uh, where it's like, did you ever consider that maybe the philosophy? All right, we're I'm I'm totally, we're going off. Maybe we'll write a book. I'll I'll have my sections in crayon. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, this this is good. This this actually had more info than I was anticipating, to be honest. Uh, which I like. I like those. Um, is there is there anything else that you think we need to to hit on for that? No, I think that that pretty well covers it. Yeah, I mean the, the the general concept between active and passive management is pretty straightforward. I mean, you, you you hit on it earlier, but there's lots of things to consider when it comes to actively deciding what strategy makes the most sense for you, or if you're going to use right. both, and then how much of both each. So, um, right, and then also for the asset classes, you know. With this asset class, do I want to be a passive investor, or with this one, do I want to be an active investor? You know, lots of decisions. It's, and the lots decisions of are up to you, listener. The I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm talking to just the air right now, so that's that's fine. They're listening. The listeners are listening with their their listening ears right now. I should stop talking. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you again for joining us on another episode of The Truth About Investing Back to Basics. Thank you for taking the time to want to better yourself and coming here for more tools for the toolbox. My name is Chris Holling. And I'm Sean Cooper. And we will uh, uh, permit you to be the listener again next time. (laughs) That was was kind of better. (laughs) Eh, I don't know about the permit. I'm, like I'm allowing permission? it. You're I'm allowing oh, okay. it. My, my listening peasants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think okay. by putting it up there, we have pretty much no <laughs>
strictly prohibited. Nothing in this podcast is intended as legal accounting or tax advice and is for informational purposes only. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. This podcast may reference links to websites for the convenience of our users. Our firm has no control over the accuracy or content of these other websites. Advisory services are offered through Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, an investment advisor firm registered in the states of Washington and Colorado. The presence of this podcast on the internet shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by our firm in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without our first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant an applicable state exemption. For information concerning the status or disciplinary history of a broker-dealer, investment advisor, or their representatives, the consumer should contact their state securities administrator. Okay. Uh, why, why, why do cow milking stools only have three legs? Because they like to see you fall over. No, because the cow has the udder. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to tell that one to Anastasia, she appreciate it. Uh, what happens when it rains cats and dogs? You shouldn't you go outside because it'll hurt. <laughs> no, you you step in poodles. <laughs> do you actually know where that term came from like where that where that comes from the term poodle no <laughs> <laughs> raining cats oh, and dogs yeah raining cats <laughs> and dogs yeah no i don't uh it comes from when houses were uh uh still had like straw and uh combinations of, of straw and mud and okay uh, just not like roof shingles holding the roof together and uh, so when the animals thatched were hanging out roof. outside, yeah, yeah, a thatched roof. When the animals were hanging out outside and they were climbing around and hanging out on top of the roof because it was a comfy place to sit because of the straw and different things and it would rain, it would become slippery and they'd literally fall off the roof and be raining cats and dogs. Interesting. Yeah. Well, hopefully it only took once for them to learn that lesson. <laughs> Based on the types of decisions and mistakes I've made in my life, I think it's fair to say at least some of the animals forgot and we're right back up there again. <laughs> yeah, that's fair.